This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we are on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now, let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle, from the second chair for the second chair. Welcome to the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brian. I'm one of the team members here at Leading Second, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. And I'm excited to share with you this great episode that we have in store. There is so much to unpack in this conversation, but I love how we ask a very important question. How do you see your role as a second chair leader? So stay tuned for this entire conversation. But before we jump into the interview, we had a question come in from a listener. We have people reach out to us through Instagram and Facebook, and Brandon took some time to talk with them. So let's take a moment for this question. Hey, I'm here with Mary from Spokane, Washington. Say what's up to everybody, Mary. Hi, guys. Hey, so glad to have you on here today. Uh, Why don't you tell everybody what you do at your church? So I currently lead our tech team at our church that handles both online and in-person um, production. So cameras, front of house, screen, yeah. that. And, and I love talking with you because you are leading second. We just remind everybody that leading second is not a box on the org chart. It is a spirit that anyone can carry. So, and I know you know that we've known each other for a while. So you you bring the leading second spirit right to your role. And uh, I love that. So. Why don't you uh, share with your question with everybody? I thought it was really good. So my question was, how do you lead individuals on your team who have skills that are different or maybe higher than your own? Yes. Very, very interesting question. And, and uh, what's the context for your question? Why are you asking this question today? Well, I, I'm not a technical person. I'm not that person that just nerds <laughs> out on tech things. I don't know what a DSLR cable is, but I'm... <laughs> I've been entrusted and in charge of um, leading people who know yes. a lot more than me on the yes. team. So yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. The non-tech person doing tech things, right? <laughs> but okay. The reason I love this question though, is this is the essence of leadership. The essence of leadership is not to be uh, the smartest person in the room. The essence of leadership is not to be the the most knowledgeable the expert actually an argument could be made mary that that puts a ceiling on your team if the leader has to be the most knowledgeable in reality um we serve our teams and those entrusted to us i love that you use that word but you know under our leadership we serve them better when we're not that ceiling so very very interesting question here no doubt others listening have found their you know, found themselves in that place. Here's a a quick answer I would give you is that our primary job as leaders, especially at a, at a team lead level, a director level, or even an executive level in church life, like our primary job is not to manage tasks. Our primary job is to build big people. And I just want that to sink in for a minute, like you and everyone listening, like we are empowered by our pastors to raise big people. 
not just to manage tasks. If your job was to manage tasks, then yeah, you need to know what all the cables are. Uh, but if not, like you can still raise big people. This to me is the difference between a style of leadership that looks like a dad or a mom with kids or a, another uh, lens of leadership, which would be a coach with players. I mean, if you think about the analogies, a, a mom or a dad with kids, you know, mom and dad know things the best and they tell the kids what to do and the kids do it. And while that is a place that every leader and every team starts, I would argue it's just the first stage of leadership that really it's, it's so important that all of us advance in our leadership to look more like coaches, coaches with players. And what I love about that analogy, Mary, is that coaches coach, but they aren't the ones playing, but like the players play. Uh, but the coach coaches and the coach calls the right plays, uh, but the players play. The players actually make the play happen. And while the analogy is imperfect, because you could argue that the coach knows the playbook better than the co the players, and I get that, uh, the analogy stands here in the fact that the coach's job is not just about running the play. The coach's job is about mindset and motivation of their team. In other words, raising up big people. So I'd probably conclude my answer today by just saying someone that's in your role. First of all, you need to be able to communicate with your team about the tech stuff and you need to know enough and you need to be um, a, you know, a big listener when it comes to their their ideas and even their, when they express limitation, like you need to really work to understand that because it may not come natural to you. But what I would say, your primary job is not in the methods of your work. Your primary job is in the mindset and the motivation of the people who do the work. And I think, I just have a theory that if you lead them in their mindset and you lead them in their heart motivation, I'll bet the methods will get taken care of along the way. And um, you can actually bring people to the table that know more about these things than you, but you can still lead them. And because you're leading their mind and you're leading their spirit. And um, I've seen leaders, I guess, succeed in that. Maybe leading people who were older than them, leading people who were more experienced than them, leading people with different skills than them. To me, you can still lead if you lead their mindset and you lead their motivation. Does that help today? That's so good. That's so good. Thank you so much. My honor, Mary. God bless you. For today's interview, we're honored to welcome Temi Pope from Union Church to the podcast. Brandon sits down with Temi to talk about being faithful in the second chair. Let's jump into the conversation. Well, Timmy, so good to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to Leading Second. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, I've loved uh, meeting you. I love your story. I'm excited for everybody uh, to get to know you today. Uh, first off the bat, just tell us a little bit about you and and you know what you do at your church and all that. Okay, I am 33, soon to be 34 this week, actually. Oh, come on, happy <laughs> birthday! Am, thank you. <laughs> I am. Um, First and foremost, a wife to my amazing husband, Damon. I am a mom to my three-year-old, Christian Lee, who's my whole world, soon to be a, uh, a mom to another little boy um, in a few weeks. I am an attorney. I am um, 
executive pastors of ministries at Union Church, uh, probably one of the greatest titles I hold. Um, and I, on, I am an unashamed follower of Christ. I truly believe that living for God, um, living a life that's set apart, living a life that honors him and honors how he has called us to live makes all the difference. And my mm. whole I don't want to call it strategy because that sounds manipulative, but my whole goal in life is to live my life so loud and unashamed that people, people see that you can love God and still live a fulfilling life and a mm. great life, a, a fruitful life. Like, beautiful, you know, like you, you don't follow Christ and you're miserable, but like, no, I'm having the time of my life. I'm happy. My family is thriving. I'm thriving. And I, that's just, I want to leave earth with people saying, man, she lives such a good life and she honored God. Mm. through and through beautiful well said already in the intro and you're just <laughs> preaching <laughs> you know, i love it i love it um well i love your spirit and you you carry as a revelation in your heart what it means to lead second and i think that's why i wanted to have this conversation today uh there's a lot of people i think that could talk from the idea of the second chair but I feel like you carry it as a revelation in your heart. I just wanted to honor that work that God has done in you and and how you communicate it and carry it. So I think we're going to have some fun today. Uh, and 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 true to our mission for this season on the podcast, we we've had a lot of great guests over the years, but this year is all about from the second chair for the second chair. We've just wanted to bring some of the great second chair leaders to the conversation and. Um, one of the things we're doing a part of that is asking everybody the same questions right off the bat, uh, just so we kind of get get different history on everybody. So I would love if you would start us off today by telling us uh, about the day where you felt called into ministry. Like, like what was that like for you to feel called or get your start in ministry? Um, so I remember it very clearly. I was working at a firm and... So, okay, just a little backstory. Been involved in the church for years, um, always led at some capacity level. But this particular day, I remember I was working at a firm and as an attorney, you do this thing called billable hours. So I was about to, I just got off the call with a client and I was about to submit my billable hours for the month. And I realized that um, I spent most of my time at work doing ministry stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and not actually doing the stuff that I was paid for. Um, and then I was going home and doing the work that I was paid for. And I remember sitting there and I was like, this, this doesn't feel right. And my pastor, Pastor Stephen Chandler, he always says, you know, when it's time to make that jump, when you spend mm. more time doing the things of God or doing the things of ministry, than you do what you're actually paid for. And I literally was like, I feel like I'm robbing like, you know, the Bible says, give Caesar what Caesar. And I'm like, I'm not actually doing the stuff that they pay me for. Um, and it was in that moment that the stirring of full-time ministry kind of like was in my heart. I always knew that I would end up in full-time ministry. I just assumed it would be when I was 45, 50, 65, you know, 70, when I was done <laughs> with this, with this wow. career. Um, but I remember that day and I came home and told my husband, I was like, I spent all day working on church stuff. I think, I think God's trying to tell me something. He just laughed at me, but yeah, that's what, that was the first stirrings for me. Amazing. Amazing. So what have you loved most about your church, I guess, and, and this net, this ministry journey that you're on? Like, what have you loved most about it? Two things. I think it's the people 
the people is what made me fall in love with the church from the first time I walked through the doors. I mm. actually came to, it was destiny then now union to watch a friend get baptized. So like, it wasn't the church that mm. I was attending. And I remember walking in through the doors and seeing people so in love with the presence of God, um, people that looked like me, people that were young and it wasn't a facade. It wasn't mm. church is just what we do. It's not how we were raised, but it was like people with tears streaming down their eyes in the presence of God, like, and wow. I just felt like this peace. And I was like, oh my goodness, this feels like home. Um, so that I would say was, it's the people. And then I, I, I gotta, I gotta credit my pastors, like pastor Steven and Zai Chandler are probably two of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. They, they're young, but they, the wisdom that's on their lives make, makes no yeah. sense. Like it actually yeah. does not make any sense. I remember walking in through the doors of the church and learning that he was the pastor because he was so young and I was like is he the guest speaker for the day they're like no he's the pastor <laughs> and I I remember actually saying audibly there's nothing he can teach me we're the same age like and then I heard him preach and I was like we may be the same age physically but there is a level of wisdom and anointing on his life that far yep. transcends anything that I can imagine and they have been such a consistent blessing to my life, um, to my leadership, to shaping who I am today. Um, and I would say those are just the two things. I Beautiful. Think the people um, and the pastors. Yeah. And giving honor where honors do. I've, I've heard your pastor teach. He's brilliant. Uh, he was actually at our church uh, a few months back and we just absolutely fell in love uh, with him. So I love the house that you're a part of. Um, another maybe funny question. Uh, what's the first thing you do every morning? So it, it's going to sound very, not weird, but it's going to sound like that's it. But literally when my alarm goes off, I open up my version app. I read the verse of the day and I say a simple prayer. And I'm just like, God, thank you for the day. Um, thank you for giving me another chance to get it right. And then I get up because my three-year-old is banging on the door yelling because he is he right. is our alarm clock <laughs> um yep. those, like those two things are like the two things that I can say I consistently do now when I get to the office or during my devotionals or at different times but I I do not put my feet to the ground until I have read the verse of the day and I've said that simple prayer of just let's get the day started yep beautiful and uh back to that alarm clock business I don't think we've set an alarm since we got a COVID puppy and then had a COVID baby, uh, I don't think we've set an alarm one time in the last two years. So. You don't need it. You, I mean, no. my, I can no. my son is the perfect alarm clock. His internal clock is, <laughs> I mean, perfect. Yeah, same here. Same here. Okay, last question. Um, what is an influential podcast or book other than the Bible uh, that has impacted your life? So I have two, I would say both of them are, um, secular, but it's a book called never split the difference by Chris Voss. Mm. Um, and it's, he was like this famous FBI negotiator and he wrote a whole book on how to communicate and negotiate with people, which oh, wow. sounds weird, but it has come in so handy in ministry, just talking to people from different backgrounds, different thoughts, different views. And he mm -hmm. just lays it all down from, how to uh, how to come in with an objective and get what you want without the other person ever realizing that they just gave up all the things that they didn't want to give up. Um, and the podcast that I would say is a podcast by a lady called My Leak Teal. It's called My Taught You. 
and she is a businesswoman and she talks a lot about being a woman and occupying space and using your voice. And she just has some principles that she has taught that I have applied to my life and that I have used. And I think what I love about it is you can learn from anywhere. I think sometimes in ministry, we get caught up and I can only listen to a pastor. I can only listen to a minister, but it's like, no, if I can take principles from the business world and apply it in ministry, then I can mesh the two. Obviously, chew the meat, spit out the bones. But um, I think those right. two have really kind of helped shape who I am. The first book, Spoken Like Only a Lawyer, could speak, by the way, The Art of Negotiation. I have never heard someone say it quite like that. So there it's you go. It's such a good book. You've got, you got to read it. you got to listen will. to it. I will. His voice. He's, I could just imagine him. Like he's negotiated kidnappings of dignity. Oh my gosh. All kinds of stuff. It's, it's That's phenomenal. brilliant. That's brilliant. Awesome. Well, for our conversation today, um, I just wanted to hear from you the revelation that you carry about leading second and, and thriving in that seat and what it means to you to be faithful in the second chair. I feel like something that we're supposed to do here at leading second is give a pattern to leaders, because I know when we talk like this, and and this is kind of core to who we are as a tribe, that when we talk like this, there's someone that's listening today. Maybe you're driving right now or you're in the gym or you're, you know, you're, you're like Timmy and the kids aren't up yet. You're just laying there in bed first thing in the morning on a Thursday or whatever. But as, as you hear some words today, um, something's going to leap in you. You're going to realize you share the same, same DNA. And that's actually called a, a revelation of what it means to lead second, that it moves from kind of head knowledge to heart knowledge. And I'm just going to give you some space today, Timmy, just to share that with us. And, and I think the first thing I just wanted to ask you really simply is what do you enjoy most about leading from the second chair? Like, why are you in this seat in the kingdom? Well, I think first of all, it is absolutely a calling. I think, um, it's not a job title for me. It's not a position. It's not a career strategic movement. I do believe that God has placed me here and in the seat that I'm in to help lift up the hands of my pastors and to help bring the vision that he's given them to life. Um, being in the second seat is sometimes can be for, depending on who you are, depending on what your organization looks like, it can sometimes feel like either a daunting task, um, Mm -hmm. an unseen role, a like, you know, unappreciative role. But for me, I truly believe that it's my job to steward where I sit. It's my job to make sure that I am doing my part to help run alongside my pastors and help fulfill the vision that God has given them. And I do believe that it's also my job to make sure that I'm checking in with God, checking my heart, checking my, 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 my ambitions and making sure that, Hey, I'm still in line with where you have me. And I Mm. think the moment that anything shifts in my heart, then there's a conversation of, I got to move out the seat. But while I'm sitting here, it's, I mean, my favorite part is seeing vision come to life and being a part of executing that, you know, and especially in this society today and in the world today, we see so many lead pastors, like it's become a thing. The Instagrams are blowing up They're Like everyone knows who they are and you don't know a lot of who the second chair is. And I personally, my natural bin, I like that. I like being unseen. I like being in the background. Um, I like being able to be an aid to somebody. 
to help mm. somebody reach their full potential. And I do feel like that there are people that God has strategically put on the earth to do just that. It is our job to be an aid and to help people. And I think um, Maxwell says this thing about um, don't focus on being seen, being known, branding, all of that. Just focus on being good. And when you are good, people will know you. Like, mm-hmm. just focus on being good. And I think for me, it's just like, I just want to focus on being good and doing what I've been given and stewarding it well and making sure that I'm making God proud and he will do the rest. The people yeah. that need to know me will know me. The people that need to meet me will meet me. The people that he needs to send in my life to help elevate me or whatever, that will happen so good. just by me sitting in second and doing what I was told to do. <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't be more right. And and when you talk like that, it reminds me of the story of Joseph, right? I mean, jo- jo- Joseph, first of all, never served as a number one and and pretty amazing how he stewarded, I love that word, uh, stewarded a nation during a challenging time and was never number one. Um, it, but you, it's worth, if you haven't read it recently, it's, you know, for anyone listening, it's worth a read again, because you, you just got to look at how he was faithful over the unseen moments and, and, and his faithfulness there brought him before King. And that's always been one of my anchors in scripture for leading second is, is Joseph, because it reminds me to be, to be faithful in prison or be as faithful in prison as I want to be in the palace. So why does a first chair leader need a second chair leader by them? Because I think anybody who sits in the first chair should have a vision that's so big they can't accomplish it on their own. Mm. And they need people to come alongside them to help them achieve it. If your vision that you have, you can do it by yourself. One, it's not from God. And two, <laughs> then you don't need people like that. It's just a self-fulfilling, you know, vision. It's a self-fulfilling. It's for your gratitude, not for a greater or global impact. But anybody with a vision that makes a lasting impact, that leaves a legacy, that can shake up a world, a nation, needs people around them to make it happen. If you think about all the greats in the Bible, all this, like they needed like God, even God, he had his disciples. He, Jesus was Jesus. Like it didn't get any better than him. He was perfect. He was all powerful. He was all knowing yet. He refused to do anything by himself. Right. He was like, I need you to come with me. I need you to be with me. I need you to learn this because I can, one, he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants, but a person is only limited in what they can do. But the more people you have around you, that's learning your heart, that's learning your vision, that's learning the tools and the strategies and the leadership stuff that you are getting and you're passing it on to them, then that multiplies the impact that you get to have in the world. And I think that any leader that has a vision that's worth fulfilling, Mm. you absolutely need people around you to help you make it happen. Would you even go so far as to say that that that's one of the greatest ways that God provides for first chair leaders is to bring the right people around them? In other words, provision is not just money. Provision can be team. Provision can be alignment. And, and would you say it's even appropriate just to pray and believe for that if you're a pastor out there? A thousand percent. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So mm. you could have all the money in the world. Right. You could have all the vision in the world. If you don't have the right team, it will not work. You have to have the right team. You have to have people who are essentially sons and daughters of the house or sons and daughters of you 
to help bring it yeah. to pass. I 100. Yeah. percent I think people are a greater resource than money. Yeah. Leaders are 100 percent more greater yeah. than financial wealth. I couldn't agree more. And okay, now we're totally off script, but I we're just we're flowing now, and I I want to run this thought by you. So, um, we've taught for years in the avenues of leading second about the principle of the first follower that, that when first follower presents themselves, that gives a permission to the leader to lead. And, uh, the, the, the principle or the idea behind that is that the first follower is an underestimated form of leadership in the organization. In other words, everybody looks to the front I believe it was Dr. Martin Luther King that talks about the drum major instinct. You know, you know, it's the it's the instinct to look at the band, but look at the drum major, you know, look at the one out front or to desire to be the one out front. He had a sermon that kind of uh, spoke to that idea. And and yet as Christ followers, we're actually called to something different in many ways. Um, But the the idea behind the first follower is that while people look to the first chair for vision their lives actually more resemble the second chair than the first chair. In, in other words, the the vision comes from the first chair, but the the personality of the organization, the character, the integrity actually flows from the leaders around the senior leader. Because, you know, when, when you're in the hospital, most likely going to be the second chair guy or a you know, girl showing up at your hospital room, or they're going to be at your kid's birthday party. They're going to be doing life with you. And so... I think second chair leaders sell themselves short sometimes because they don't see actually the incredible role of leadership and how formative they are to the organization or to the church that they're leading in. I guess, like, would you agree with that, that it's underestimated in its influence and its uh, value to the organization? I, I, I would. I think that your second chair are your culture carriers. They are your um, vision leakers. They are the they are the people mm-hmm. who are going to take the vision that you have gotten from God, and they're going to take it to the people and oversee its execution. Um, whether you have one second chair, you have four, five, or six, and you're a hundred percent right. And it's not for lack of caring from the first chair. It's it's because of the responsibility and the weight load that they carry that they can't be all things to all people, which is where your second chairs, your third chairs, your fourth chairs and beyond right. come in. They get to actually do the work of the ministry. The first chair equips and then they do the work of the ministry. Yep. And I 100% agree with you. I think that it's important that you surround yourself with a team that yeah. fully understands your vision. Because if not then it doesn't matter what vision you got from God. They're going to go off and do whatever they want to do. And then you're going to spend your time correcting, fixing, changing, turnovers, firing people, rehiring people, (laughs) reteaching culture. And you're going to get nowhere because you're just always Mm. starting over. And then momentum doesn't build. It's worth noting. We say this a lot, but it's worth noting to everybody that we see leading second as something that anyone in the organization can do. In other words, it's not a, a box on the org chart or a title. It's a spirit that anyone can carry. So you might be a first year intern, you know, just trying to figure out ministry life. Like you can lead second and, and you can do it from any seat on, on the bus. So Timmy, we've talked a little bit about the beauty of leading second. Let's talk about the challenges or the tensions that come. What have you found most challenging, uh, in that seat? 
I think for me, it's making sure that I stay in alignment with vision. Um, Mm -hmm. And here's why I say that, because we all have a personal relationship with God. There are natural bends that we have and desires and passions that God has actually put on our heart. And this is what you're passionate about, whether it's women in ministry, whether it's men in ministry, whether it's young adults, whether it's singles, married, whatever. So we we have a natural bend. And I think sometimes we can intersect our natural bend into the vision and veer Mm -hmm. off course a little bit. So I think for me, the tension in the rub is always making sure that, hey, am I am I still in line with vision? Like Mm. has Temi leaked into vision? And now I'm trying to do something that Temi wants to do or Temi's passionate about, but that's not where my senior leader wants to go. So I think that's like probably one of the tensions. Um, And then also, I would also say the other part is being the bad guy. I mean, sometimes it's our job (laughs) to to communicate and execute things that people don't want to hear or people don't like. Um, Mm. But it's what it's what's in line with vision it's what the senior pastor wants and sometimes you are forced to be that face or that target that everyone is like well she said this or he did this and it's oh i love my senior pastor but that xp or that person you know you understand what i'm saying so totally those are like the two rubs that it's like i'm just i'm just being a steward of where i'm sitting (laughs) right right but yeah i want to go back to the first one because um, you, you bring up a great point about alignment. Um, I've always found this interesting because it, it's not like we're, you know, supposed to check our ambition at the door, you know, when we're in the second chair. It's not that we're not allowed to dream. It's not that we're not allowed to have have thoughts about ministry or ideas. Um, all of that can be brought to the table, but there's a tension there between maybe ambition and submission. And, and both are necessary. Have you found yourself wrestling between maybe your own ministry desires or thoughts versus sometimes just having to lay that down and, and submit it for the sake of what you're part of? Absolutely. I think, so I think one of the first lessons that I had to learn, um, stepping into the seat is you can't have godly ambition without submission. Like, wow. Wow. And I say that coming from the corporate world of ambition is celebrated it's expected Mm. it's um but ambition from the corporate world is me 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 what can i do what can i get how far can i go stepping into ministry i truly believe that godly ambition cannot happen if you're not submitted first to god but then to a house um Mm. and i had to learn hey god placed certain desires on my heart that he knew but he also called me to be in the second chair with this leader in this house. So at some point I have to trust that me being submitted here is still going to see me fulfill the ambitions and the desires that God has placed on my heart. I just have to understand it doesn't happen on Timmy's timing. And I learned that lesson very early on. Like I have to let God have his way and I have to wait on his timing because it works better when everything is laid out the way that he wants it and not the way that I want it. I think that God has a way of ensuring that we learn that lesson early on <laughs> and he, he will, he will make sure <laughs> that uh, we find our way to that place. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, it's, it's, I'm not even going to sit here and pretend like this was an easy lesson for me to learn. No. I am one of those people who I've always had a five-year plan 
always like go to graduate high school, go to college, graduate college, go to law school, graduate law school, get this job, do this. And I remember specifically when God shook up my plan and I was like, okay, hold on. This is, I, I don't know where to go now. And he literally was like, perfect. That's where I want you. Because if you, the way I see it is if I have a plan and I fulfill it, then what do I need God for? What do I need faith for? Like it's, it's, it's allowing him to map out the path. The Bible says that we make plans, so God orders our steps. So I'm not saying to whoever's listening to this, just be out here in la la land and just go with the flow, make your plans, but with an open hand and allow God to speak into it. And he will see that the desires that he has placed on your hearts come to fruition. You, you just landed something a few minutes ago. You cannot have godly ambition without submission. And I, it just reminds me, the Bible does not speak against ambition. The Bible speaks against selfish ambition. And I, I love how you just put that. And, and may we all have godly ambition, but learn its place in the house. And don't you think God is just well able, like if he truly wants you to do something and it's not just your good idea, you know, if he truly wants you to do something like he is well able to get you there exactly when he needs you there. It's just our job to stay in, in the place that he has planted us. A hundred percent. And his timing is always a, a million times better than anything we could have planned on our own. hundred percent. You know, I'll say this really fast because I know that many listening weren't able to be at our recent um, leading second camp, but something that my wife shared right at the beginning of the day, you know, we got up and that's our first live event of that level with leading second. It was really, really special moment. It was something we had dreamed about for like 10 years and right, right during the welcome, uh, my wife fessed up. She goes, you know, we went to our pastor a couple times about doing this a few years ago. And, and I very rarely with leading second, I've heard a no from him. Uh, He's been just an incredible covering uh, to this ministry, but that was a no. I heard, I heard you're not ready or it's not the right time, or you don't have the right approach, or, you know, I heard a couple rounds of no's. And then when we went to him, you know, mid pandemic of all times and said, we think this is in us. He, he said, okay, it, it's your time. And th- this, this is the right time for it now. And it was so much more blessed. If I could just talk out of hindsight for a minute for everyone listening, like it was, it was so much more blessed and so much more anointed Um, I even got to have him come and stand on a platform I built, you know, to speak into the life of that tribe. It was just the most incredible full circle, you know, moment for me. And to think I tried to rush it four years before, you know, to, to think it it wouldn't have been a fraction of, of what it was. So to anyone listening, I mean, maybe we're just in someone's cul-de-sac right now, but like God is so able to, he is kind with your ambition. He gave you that ambition, but ambition can be godly or selfish based on where it's placed and 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 how it's um, navigated by you in your life. And if I can just add, I think a lot of people do not have a healthy enough relationship with their their senior pastor, their leader mm. to entrust that they want what's best for you. So when you go to them wow. and you hear a no, 
you then go back and you're like, well, are they saying no because they don't want this or they don't want that or they don't want me to be bigger than them? And I think when you have those thoughts, you're already in the wrong seat. You have to be Mm -hmm. in a seat where you fully trust your leader that if he's saying no, it has nothing to do with his own gain or his own ambition, but all for what's good for you. And I think the fact that you had, I, I mean, honestly, the humility to even submit it to your pastor, to listen to his no and to wait. I think that also adds to how God was able to bless it when it was able to come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And man, we could do, I could do a whole episode just on this point where we're at right now. Maybe, maybe we just got to do that sometime, but, but you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day of yes, we serve Jesus and yes, we're called by God, but he works through his established authority. And I just pray in, in this, in this climate right now that is getting the conversation so wrong about authority. I just pray that our tribe is one that really gets a godly revelation of authority, the safety that we have under authority and the blessing that we have under authority. And, um, anyways, I'm, 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 I'm glad we're here. And maybe those are words of life to someone today. I did want to switch gears with you for just a minute because you have an interesting part of your story that's going to speak to somebody. And that is that you did not come straight into ministry. You came to ministry via the corporate world. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey uh, into ministry from the corporate world. I'd love to just hear things from you. Like, how has it been different than you expected? Uh, What have you learned during that? Um, So I... I was a corporate attorney. Um, I did employment litigation and I absolutely loved my job. I worked for an amazing boss, um, still good friends with him till today. Um, And I was getting opportunities that were eight years ahead of my time or or experience. Um, So I do believe that where I was placed in the firm was a God thing. Mm. Um, And I remembered my pastor gave me a call one day. Funny enough, my husband, we were on a drive somewhere. My husband asked me just random. He's a, he's a deep analytical thinker. I am not. And he's one of those, you know, where do you see your life five years from now in a perfect world type? And I always hate those questions because I'm like, (laughs) Oh, now you have to make me think. Um, but he asked, he said in a perfect world, if money was not an issue, um, and you know, nothing was an issue, what would you do? And I thought about it. And the first answer that came to mind was I was like, I'd be in full-time ministry. And he was just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And we both just kind of laughed it off because it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Like I was, I was an attorney, I was working. So it was just like, okay, we had student loans, you know, it was just like, it's not a thing. (laughs) And later that week, my pastor called me. He goes, Hey, can you stop by the office? I want to have a meeting. And I was sure I had did something wrong. I was like, Oh gosh, (laughs) I'm being called into the principal's office. He's about to remove me from my position. Um, and I came in and he, he essentially said he'd been praying and he was feeling a shift in the organization and he wanted me to come on staff. And I like, when you say jaw just wow. drops, cause I was like, wait, were you in the car? Is our car bugged? Like, did you hear this conversation? <laughs> um, and so we, we prayed about it. Me and my husband prayed about it. Um, and initially we actually said no. Um, I said no, because I just, I didn't have the peace, which on hindsight, I look at it now. I truly do believe that it was, uh, it was fear. It was a little bit of fear. 
Um, because I was the person who's always done what's expected of her. I followed the path. Remember I told you I was a five-year plan person and this was not a part of the plan. Um, so I initially said no, but that rub and that tug was on my heart. And I remember telling him no. And he said, well, can I ask why? And I said, I truly just don't have peace. And I said, you know, I hope that this is not the only time this offer comes around. Um, and he literally said, I remember to this day, he goes, here's what I'll say. If it's a God thing, the offer will come back around and the piece will be there and it'll line up. It's just probably not the right time. This was like on a Wednesday, um, that Friday, me and my husband found out we were expecting our first child. Oh, wow. And as soon as I found it out, it was like instantly the peace of God was like, you need to go into full-time ministry. One, because the kind of mom I wanted to be, I couldn't do it working 80, 90 hours a week that I was working. Um, and I, I remember I was like, ah, but God, I, I, I just told him, no, he's not going to ask again. Um, and I think about three or four weeks later, he, he sent me a message and he said, Hey, um, I know you just said no, but something is telling me to ask again. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, no need to like, yes, let's do it. Amazing. Um, and I stepped into full-time ministry and it has been probably after saying yes to God, um, saying yes to my husband, it's probably been the best decision I have ever made my life in the last four years. I mean, I cannot even explain to you how much further it has gone just from being able to impact people, being able to help transform lives. Like I just feel so fulfilled with this role and it has been hard. It's been very interesting. Um, coming from corporate into ministry is a complete, complete shift. I mean, everything right. is the opposite in corporate. No one cares about you. No one cares about your life. No one cares what's going on at home. No one cares what's going on in your heart. No one cares what you're struggling with or dealing with. Just get the job done in ministry. It's the complete opposite. I actually care more about you. What's going on in your life before wow. I care about what you can do. And, um, so I think for me that that's been the biggest shift is kind of like re redirecting my life. So I stepped into ministry pregnant and I was just used to running this eight, nine hour work day and, you know, working all the time. And I remember like the first week, my boss was like, Hey, um, I don't know if you know that you're pregnant, you need to slow down. And I was like, what? Slow down. <laughs> that's a thing. I didn't even know you cared enough or noticed enough. Wow. Um, but yeah. So it's been a complete, it's been a different journey that I absolutely love. That's awesome. That's incredible. And now you're about to be a mom of two and a whole, a whole nother, a whole nother chapter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Keep me in your prayers. Keep me. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. Um, let me ask you this. What piece of wisdom or advice would you have? Uh, for someone who is navigating coming from the corporate world into ministry, like what would you, what would you have wanted to tell you now with some, you know, some experience, what would you tell you, you know, four years ago on that journey? Um, I would just say, relax coming from the world that I came from, it was all about what you could achieve, what you could do. So I came into ministry with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder of, oh, I have to prove myself. Mm -hmm. I'm worthy enough to be in this space. I think it's, it's, it's the rub between, I didn't go to seminary. 
I didn't go to ministry school. Like there wasn't no trajectory laid out for me that qualifies me for this role. So I kind of came in like, well, I have to prove that I am qualified. And I think it's just honestly resting in God qualifies who he calls. Like you don't have to overdo anything, obviously steward the seat that you're in, but just relax, have a lot of grace for yourself, have a lot of grace for people. Um, love people. I think that's probably also the second thing that I would have told, like, just love people. Like your tolerance Mm -hmm. for people has to get higher because we are in the people ministry. It's our job to love on them, to help them, to transform their lives. And if I can't love the people of God, broken, whole, hurt, all of it, then I'm already in the wrong seat. So I would just say, relax and love people and have a lot of grace for yourself. A lot. (laughs) Yeah, because you're gonna get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, and and people are gonna respond to you different. You know, it's it's a, a person paid to be there and a person volunteering to be there are two very different, you know, mindsets, two very different motivations, and I'm sure that's a jump moving from one of those environments to the other in terms of leading people. Oh, a hundred percent. I think I had a, a newfound level of respect for the people who worked at our church. Once I started working, um, cause I think one of the misconceptions is what do you guys do all day? Do y'all just worship? And oh pray? yeah. Yeah. Just, I was, and I, and funny enough, I was that person. Like, I just didn't understand how I was like, I'd come back, I'd come into an event or something after working my nine to five. And I'm like, what have y'all been doing all day? <laughs> like, why is it this done? Why is it this done? And now being on the other side, I'm like, people in ministry work hard. There is work mm. to be done and there is not enough hours in the day. There yeah. really isn't. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I've really loved talking with you today. I love your spirit. I love your heart. Thank you for carrying it the way you carry. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for, um, trusting God enough in the moments that didn't make sense. Um, we admire you and we love you and we're thankful for, for how you lead. Thank you for having me. I think I've said it before. I'll say it again. This space is so needed. You guys are encouraging people every single day. And I don't even think you realize how many people you're keeping in the game just by Mm. having this space for them. So thank you guys for honoring and supporting what God is giving you. That, that was actually, it's so funny. This, this might sound backwards to somebody, but one of the very first days where God began to drop the dream for this ministry in my heart, that was actually part of the dream to me was, was help leaders not to quit. And as, as weird or simple as that was, that became like, honestly, part of our ministry's mandate. We don't really say it a lot, but man, I pray that's the, that's the fingerprints, you know, that's the residue of these conversations. Okay. I got one more question for you to land the plane. What is your greatest prayer for leaders right now in this season that we find ourselves leading? What's your greatest prayer? I would say it's to live life boldly and unashamedly for Christ, um, and show the world like to, to not be a hidden Christian, to not be a hidden leader. Um, we tend to keep our faith in our circles with people who share the same faith. Um, and I don't think that that's the mandate that God has given us as Christians. He's called us to be a light in the world. He said, don't be of the world. Um, don't be in the world, but like, you know, like, and it's important for us to, 
to mix and mingle, to talk to people. I still have my corporate friends that I talk to and they know mm. Temi is 100% unashamedly a follower of Christ and y'all are going to get Jesus every moment that Jesus <laughs> can be introduced into the conversation. Um, but also not only to live boldly and unashamedly, but to have fun loudly and show the world that we can be followers of Christ and live great lives, build great marriages, raise great kids, have great businesses. Um, and that it's not this mandate of, oh, well, you're just a Christian follower there. You're restricted. There are things you can't do and your life is boring. It's like, no, we're having the time of our lives over here. And I want the world to see it because I want you to be able to see that all that I have, all that I do, and it's not to be braggadocious, but it's it's just by simply following God, by honoring what mm. he has given me, by stewarding it, that he is doing his best to make sure that I live yeah. a life here on earth that is going to mirror what, you know, it's not going to mirror exactly heaven, but <laughs> it's going to get as good as it can. I think as Christians- We'll get as way, close as we possibly can. <laughs> yes. And I just, I grew up in a church where it, it was all about heaven, all about heaven, all about heaven. Mm. And I'm like, but wait a minute, I, if I'm miserable here, then I want to get to heaven a lot quicker. But right. there's so much that God has called me to do here. So I refuse to be miserable here. I refuse Beautiful. to not enjoy life and show people that you can be a follower of Christ and just live it up. Like have the time of your life. Well said. Well said. And my Enneagram seven wife will appreciate what you just said. Live it up. Have the time of your life. Hey, thanks, my friend. Come back soon. We'll we'll keep talking. Be blessed. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'd appreciate you leaving a review wherever you find yourself listening. And for more information, check out leadingsecond.com. Follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.